0: Welcome guys to a special episode of Save Johor, Save Malaysia As we just learned, the candidate for DUN N41 Putri Wangsa is none other than our Secretary General Amira Aisha So stay on as we get to know uh, the reasons why Amira joined service-based politics uh, policy-based politics and why she was also the co-founder and uh, Secretary-General for Muda and please comment below it's a birthday today so let's I'll be the first one to officially wish her on our podcast Happy Birthday Amira! thank you for joining us today and talking things which is close to your heart
1: Hi there could you please introduce yourself Uh, Hello there my name is Amira Aisha binti Abdul Aziz I am co-founder and also currently the Secretary-General of Muda I am 26 turning 27 years old this year
0: would you like to tell
1: us a bit more about your family? Uh, so I was raised by a single mother. I grew up in a squatter's area. Uh, my father passed away when I was um, only twelve years old. Uh, my single mother is a teacher who raised, uh, you know, me and my four siblings. I am the second child, but I'm also the first daughter. So you know, as the oldest daughter, you usually are taught to bear a lot of responsibilities uh, ever since you were young especially by the fact that uh, you know my father's is my mother's a single mother and um, i spent most of my childhood um, back at my grandma's house at Kampung Layu Majidi in Johor Bahru i was born and raised and you know spent um, most of my time there
0: it's great to hear could you share with us a little bit about your education background
1: So being a Johorian, um, you know, I spent most of my education in Johor itself, uh, kindergarten at Tabika Kemas Bulatan, which is a, you know, government-owned kindergarten. And then I went to Sultan Ibrahim Girls' School for my primary school and also Sultan Ibrahim Girls' School for my secondary school. So I was in an all-girls school throughout my whole uh, education since Standard 1 until Form 5. And then I pursued a law degree at International Islamic University Malaysia. So after that, after I graduated from IUM uh, with a law degree, I actually did my chambering, I actually did my chambering and I finished uh, my chambering. I was called to the bar uh, but then I have decided to not continue with the path as a legal practitioner.
0: Interesting indeed. A little on a lighter note, would you like to share a little bit about your hobbies with us?
1: Okay, wow. Well, um, my hobby is definitely something that uh, might change people's perspective on me. Uh, I don't have those kinds of like serious hobby like reading as a hobby or uh, watching uh, documentaries or anything. Really, my hobby is I love, love, love to play the sims. Especially The Sims 4 And uh, I have like almost all packs So you can see that I'm really excited about The Sims At one point of time I actually wanted to become a Sims streamer Until I realised that that path might not work out for me as well People might not watch it So I decided to just, you know, focus on it as just a hobby and not as a career yeah.
0: Enlightening indeed Maybe you want to share with us a little bit about your favourite artist or movies Animes,
1: authors. Mm, okay. Um, my, so I have a lot of. I, I love watching movies, I love watching um, dramas, and I love reading books as well. So I have a lot of, you know, favorite uh, movies, favorite books. But definitely one thing that really um, stayed with me, I think, um, both books and um, saga or, or trilogy. Or movie trilogy both movies and trilogy uh, Lord of the Rings so I love reading the book although it took me one year to finish the whole book uh, but I love reading them I love um, the way it was narrated I love the way it was crafted and I think uh, I learned a lot of things about good and bad uh, you know uh, and all those in between uh, from Lord of the Ring*. and also I learned a lot about um, bearing heavy responsibility and having strong people around you through watching and reading Lord of the Ring and that is definitely one of the movies or you know one of uh, series that left the most impact on me Uh, and so with that being said uh, with Lord of the Ring being my favorite series my favorite author is also G.R.R. Tolkien although I have only read actually one of his books and <laughs> nothing else, um, you know. And in terms of artists, uh, I like a lot of local celebrities. Actually, uh, I love Sharifa Amani, Bron Palare. Um, I love singers like Datuk, Shri, Datuk Siti Nohaliza uh, I love the late, the late legendary Piram Lee. Um, yeah. Uh, I love all our, I mean most of our local celebrities. If
0: I may just pause you there, anyone you specifically admire?
1: In terms of celebrity, in terms right. of our, our local celebrity. Um, one specific person that I really, really do admire, I think, um, this name didn't pop up uh, amongst all the ones that I mentioned before. Um, not a singer, not an uh, actor or an actress. Uh, But she's actually a filmmaker and I really, really love and admire Yasmin Ahmad. Uh, I love the kind of movies and values that she brings uh, behind the things that she produced. I love how um, she always know how to tell the stories of Malaysian in the most purest and honest way possible. And I think watching Yasmin Ahmad's movies growing up, uh, watching the ads produced by Yasmin Ahmad, made me feel more, you know, more patriotic as a Malaysian uh, and made me really believe that uh, Malaysia is definitely a country um, f- full of you know, people from different backgrounds and all these different backgrounds can work together and that's what makes us unique.
0: Beautiful. Moving away from the lighter stuff, um, the strong iron lady you are, let's talk a bit about your achievements.
1: <laughs> wow, my achievements. Um, let's see uh, I think if you ask me in terms of I was I was raised older I was raised by a single mother I was also very lucky to have a lot of opportunities uh, to enter uh, and take part in a lot of activities when I was younger um my family was very much involved in performing arts, so I was very actively involved in uh, theaters, in um, dances, and all of that. Uh, but I think all that, um, you know, still, if you ask me one achievement that I really, really, you know, uh, am proud of is that when I was 16 years old, uh, I was chosen to be a member of Johor Student Leaders Council which Johor Student Leaders Council, or JSLC, uh, is a council where they every year they elected 20 top students of Johor um, to be a member of JSLC and they trained us and they guided us through leadership courses. They sent us all over the world um, to study diplomacy, to study uh, leadership, event management, press management, and all of that. Uh, and... I was very very proud to be a part of that group and I think um, my biggest achievement would be uh, when GSLC was when the project was stopped uh, in I think 2012 the project was stopped because of funding issues and all of those things Um, me and several small groups of my friends when we were at the age of 18 years old uh, we pleaded to the state government and we ple- we met up with a lot of sponsors and uh, we had to prove to them that JSLC is indeed a program uh, that can leave an impact on students in Johor. Uh, and that is when uh, we organized a huge camp to show that um, there are a lot of Johorians who still want JSLC to be around. And at the age of 18 years old, despite uh, doing my uh, foundation studies in IAUM, Every week, I went back and forth from Johor to KL, and that's when uh we managed to revive JSLC, and until now JSLC is still alive, and it's no longer just at the uh you know it's just at the level of the state of Johor. Now there's uh district student leaders board in all districts in Johor. There are student leaders board in almost all schools in Johor, and the family is just growing and growing, and I think. Uh, if there's any achievement that I'm most proud of, it's definitely being able to continue that platform for all Johorians.
0: Amazing indeed. Now let's get into the essence of um, today's interview. We'd like to know how did you get a start in politics and what was the aha moment that gave you the push to be the people's representative? Yeah.
1: Um, I was a debater back in school. So, being a debater, uh, you've always been aware of issues. You know, you need to be aware of issues, uh, political issues, and what's going on in the world, what's going on in Malaysia. You've always been aware of how uh, the constitution works and all that, and being a law student as well. So, I've always been interested in political issues. However, I have never, you know, thought that I'd be a politician. Uh, If there's one interesting story that I can share about myself, was that Growing up in a squatters area, um, I had a bit of like dirty thoughts about politicians. Um, I was one of those people who were on the high horse where I only look at politics as you know, politics can only be for uh, there are so many dirty things in politics, and only those who are crooked will become politicians. Simply because um, growing up in a squatters area, I realized that politicians give a lot of promises, um, once every four years, but after that, that, they disappeared and you just don't see them anymore. Uh, so I always told my mother, I even promised my mother that uh, I will never be a politician. Uh, but I've always been interested in politics. Um, back in 2015, uh, when there was a you know, rise of people going against uh, 1MDB, speaking against 1MDB, speaking against Datuk uh, Razak, I was highly involved in that movement as well but only as a student activist. Uh, I went um, you know, on a tour across Malaysia as well um, together with site Sadiq for a Declarasi Rakyat where we fought against one where we tried to explain to people why all these things are wrong uh, and when Bersatu was formed Sadiq actually invited me to join Bersatu uh, but I told him no because I told him that um, looking growing up my experience growing up has shown me, if there's one thing that, that it has shown me is that a party based on only one race has never benefited anyone except for the elites uh, who believed in that party. And so I refused to be in uh, and But then I still supported Sadiq. I know that he wanted to create change from within, uh, but I was skeptical that he could do it. Uh, and I guess I was right <laughs> at that point of time. Um, but I think the moment in which that aha moment that you asked just now was that uh, when Lanka Sheraton happened, uh, I was in Padu, uh, which is a think tank for uh, the, the you know Ministry of Education. And at that point of time, uh, when there's a switch in the government, immediately, whatever good public policy that people, you know, the people have drafted, uh, the civil servants have tried to push for, as soon as you change the minister, as soon as you change the government, especially when it's a sudden change of government, where there's no preparation whatsoever, the new minister will want to bring their own legacy. The new government wants to bring their own legacy. And so everything was just wiped off. Wiped, you know, like as if um, everything was just, we is it is as if everything that we have done doesn't matter to them. And so that's when I realised that no matter how good uh, of a public... You know, no matter how good you you are in terms of crafting public policy, no matter how many great think tanks you have in the country, but if you don't have enough political will to push for that policy, then it will never fly through, right? And that's when it comes to for me, the reali- the realization happens that if I really want to make change, if I really want to push for change, I can't just be tiptoeing around the circle of politics. I can't just be saying that oh, this world is dirty and so I'll never enter and I'll leave all my other friends to the world of politics and I realized that if you really want to create change, you have to walk the talk. It's no longer enough for you to just be a supporter. And so I decided to jump into it and if there's one thing and there's only one thing that I regret would be that I broke my promise to my mother when I told her that I will never be a politician. <laughs>
0: yeah. This is truly inspiring indeed, being part of Muda itself. I think um, next question would be, how has Johor specifically changed from then to now? And how would you envision Johor to be in the next five years? Yeah.
1: Uh, then being... When is it then? Is it pre... Um, Pre-Sheraton or is it pre GE14? Can...
0: Pre-GE14 maybe?
1: Yeah. I think uh people have always looked in terms of political spectrum, people have always looked at Johor as the strong fortress for Amno bn Right? It's where Amno was born at. Uh almost you know, almost all Amno leaderships came from Johor. And so pre-GE14 it felt very impossible uh, for you to have a change of government in Johor. Uh, even during the wave of you know, 1MDB, the wave of Najib Razak, you see this wave on social media and in KL, in Klang Valley, obviously the wave is like really felt you know, and the heat is really there. Um, but in Johor, people are still very scared to talk about it um, be- simply because we always feel that as Jorians these are not the things that you speak about and Jorians are not so expressive in terms of their political opinions and political views Um, but I think post-GE14 when Pakatan Harapan managed to uh, warn over the people for GE14 and took down Barisan National for the first time ever and most importantly they managed to take down Barisan National in Johor where everyone thought that it's impossible. The then uh, Chief Minister Khalid Nodin was even, you know, even Khalid Nodin lost his seat. And so I think that moment was when everyone realized that anything can happen in Malaysian politics. Um, when Joho fell, it signaled the fall in other states, and it was right. Right? When Joho fell, it meant that Pakatan Harapan can take Putrajaya. That has always been the signal. Who won Joho will go to Putrajaya for sure. And so I think post G 14 made you realise that it's impossible to create change in Johor. It's impossible to have a different political party running the state of Johor. Uh, I mean, sorry, not impossible. It's possible to have all of that happening. And it's really, really possible for Johorians to express their views and to express their opinions about politics in Johor. And they no longer have to, you know, only think about... I have to stay silent because regardless of whatever I say, at the end of the day, the end will become the government and my voice will be oppressed. No. Post-GE14, it has definitely opened doors for Johor, for good or for worst. Uh, but one thing for sure, the democracy is much more alive now than ever.
0: If I may just pause you there. Do we still see the same sentiments today or do you think people have changed?
1: I think, well... Obviously, people will change because politics itself is fluid, and politic, you know, politics change and people change. You know, it's it's interrelated, right? When people, when the people change, the politics change. When politics change, the people change. So, obviously, you don't have one hundred percent the same thing as when during GE fourteen. But I think if there's one thing that stays similar is that the spirit of people who want the best for for their state, who want the best for Johor. With the looming PRN Johor, obviously, um, I've been going on the ground, speaking to people, speaking to, you know, everyone on everyone that I meet on the ground. Whenever I go for breakfast or when I go for, you know, just simply walking into 7-Eleven, I talk to, you know, all everyone that I've met. Um, they are all Johorians, obviously. And all of them, you know, they, they understand politics better now. They understand what's happening on the ground. They know that they have the power to make the change. But whether or not this all this understanding will then translate it into them going out to vote is something that we have to work for. So I, I think that in terms of political awareness, it remains the same. But political affiliation or political excitement to actually go out to vote, that's really something that we have to work for.
0: Interesting. So you're going against veterans and parties that have been there for ages. If you don't mind sharing the list, what's your strategy or how are you going to set yourself apart from those veterans?
1: I think one thing for sure is to have, to understand that the people now, they have less uh, loyalty Two parties, but they understand pe- they understand issues better. You know, with the rise of social media, the people are currently you know constantly reading news, constantly reading what's going on, and so they know what's going on. And I think, in order for you to win the hearts of the people, it's no longer about thinking, oh, I'm from this particular party and definitely they will vote for me simply because. I am for muda, you know, you you can't go with that line of thinking. It goes the same even with those from uh, Amno, those from PAS, those from uh, PKR, DAP. It's the same. No one should have that line of thinking anymore because now in order for you to win the hearts of the people and this is definitely something that I will push for, that muda pushes for, is that for you to show them that you are fighting for their rights and you you do want to make things better for them, you do want to create policies that will side with the people and you do want to push for better changes, better social economic for the people, better education and this is the strategy that I am going for, that Muda is going for and that is why even before we launch our manifesto, even before we start talking about what are we fighting for, we go on the ground first and talk to the people because we want to know what are actually going on, what are actually the issues on the ground, and you know, what do the people of Johor really want? Because what we want to do is to amplify the voices of Jorians and not to just, you know, simply short sneery do whatever we want. We want to represent the voices of Jorian and not, you know, just the voices of Muda leadership. Yeah.
0: If I can echo that, I think it's always about people first. Before yeah.
1: Hundred percent. Right? I agree with you.
0: What is that one quote that um, pumps you up or even motivates you and gets you going by the day?
1: Well, it's not a not exactly a quote, uh, but it's really something that I live by. And uh, I was, uh, you know, I was a coach. I was a leadership coach for the Jaws Student Leaders Council. Uh, I was also a part-time lecturer at IIUM and. This is always something that I take personally and I share with all my students as well. It's I believe that when you want to do something, you have to study it with the right intention. Because when you study it with the right intention, regardless of whatever challenges you face, regardless of how hard it is for you to get to your destination, that intention will keep you going. Because you will remember, why do I want to do this in the first place, right? And is it worth all these hardships? And if you have the right intention of doing something, definitely you will, you will always, regardless of how hard things are, you know that one day if you manage to reach that goal, it will be worth it. So I believe that when you want to do something, you start it with the right intention.
0: So if I may just say, I think it goes by a journey of 1,000 miles starts with a single step
1: and starts with the right intention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so what would be your first order of action when you win the Johor PRM?
1: One thing for sure is that um, all the things that we promise or that we will promise for Johor, I want to make sure that I'll be able to execute all of them. That I want to be su- to make sure that everything we promise is not simply empty promises. That will be able to actually carry it out, and so if there's one thing that I will definitely do is to immediately hit the ground as soon as possible and to immediately look into how do I fulfill all those promises. For example, things like um, improving public transportation, things like uh, ensuring that no student is left behind in terms of education, uh, things like ensuring that every family has enough food on the table, has roof to stay under, you know, all these things are important issues that we really need to look at in Johor. And I think that if, you know, if and when we actually win PRN Johor, number one, the first order of business is to definitely ensure that everything we promise will be carried out. All right,
0: moving on. Um, we'd like to understand further the slogan of Save Johor Save Malaysia and what is the personal significance to you?
1: Yeah. Wow, um, recently I've been receiving a lot of attacks <laughs> on this whole Save Joe, Save Malaysia. I actually did uh, one explanation video on this. Um, in that video, I tried to illustrate on how currently um, when one after one Dun fell down, uh, it starts you know, it's sort of like a slippery slope, right? First, you see Dun Melaka uh, was dissolved and then it was Dun Sarawak and now it's Dun Johor and you are hearing rumors about Kedah, right? And there are people who say, oh, they are just rumors. But that's the same thing about Johor. That's the same thing about Melaka where we thought that they are just rumors but because when You realize that it's something that can be done, and they realize that they can win when they do this, they can win easily, then it gives them even more reason to push for the dissolution of one by one state legislative assemblies. So for me, this dissolution of state legislative assembly before waiting for PRU, at the point of which COVID, you know, COVID infection is very high, it just doesn't make sense number one for example in Johor you know a lot of people are saying that oh don't Johor is dissolved because uh, Osman Sapian who is the adun for kempas passed away true that is very true that he passed away but still there's a majority of one and even with one seat even if they are they are to say that it's still unstable the opposition actually wanted to you know sign they are they are willing to sign an agreement to say that they will not disturb the stability of uh, Don Johor. They will not disturb the stability of the government of Johor, the government of Barisan National. And that's a promise that they will keep because it will be in writing. However, they do not want to take up that promise and they dissolve Johor anyway, causing this election. What does that mean? At the point of which COVID-19 infection is very high and you know, where borders are not opened yet, number one we're not sure about the voter turnout. Right from first of all, from outside of Johor, right, will they even come back to vote? We have eighty thousand Johorians who are voting, but currently they are in Singapore. How are they going to vote in Johor? Will the postal votes be? Will the postal votes arrive in time? Will they be able to actually exercise their right to choose the government of Johor? That is number one. The people outside of Johor, the people within Johor itself, right? Especially the older generations, with the COVID nineteen looming, they are worried. They are scared to go out to vote. You see this in and you see this NPRN in Peran Laka, you see this NPRN in Serawak. What does this mean? Let's push aside who's going to win if there's a low voter turnout. We push that aside. But what this means is that the government that you form is not actually the government of the people as a whole. But only the government of perhaps 60% of those who actually came out to vote. But what about the other 40% who didn't come back to vote because of these issues? Right? That means that you are not allowing people to exercise their right as a, you know, as a whole unless you incentivize them to come back and vote. And I want to see this. I want to see the government actually do something to incentivize people to vote. I want them to ensure that the postal votes will come in time. I want them to ensure that the Undi18 and AVR will be exercised in time for the, the election day in Johor. Because if not, then you know, you're not allowing them to vote. You are simply oppressing their right of you know, democratic rights. And this is, not, this, is, this is definitely not right. And why is it Save Johor, Save Malaysia? Because if we are able to take down Barisan National in Johor, then they'll realise that the strategy of taking down one-by-one one state legislative assembly does not work out in total. right? And again, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Johor has always been the strong fortress of Barisan National. And whoever wins Johor... Will shape the narrative of politics in Malaysia, and whatever you know, turnout or voter turnout, whatever is the hype in Johor, is something that you can see as a reflection of what GE fifteen will look like. So, in order for you to ensure that there's no more state legislative assemblies being dissolved, in order for you to ensure that there's some sort of political stability before the general assembly then you need to ensure that you come out to vote and exercise your right for PRN Johor and to show that regardless of whatever, whatever is happening right now, the people of Johor will make the right decision and they will stop this political instability in Malaysia.
0: Let's hope the right thing is done for Johor and um, we I get so. to see success and ultimately save Johor, save Malaysia.
1: I hope so. Indeed.
0: On a more personal note, as a woman standing in elections, what are the common misconceptions or obstacles that you have faced?
1: I think not just as a woman standing for election, right? Looking at as a woman in politics as a whole, number one is that even without politics itself, women have always been scrutinized a lot more than men, right? Um, In terms of now that I'm into politics, I realize that a lot more, Right? Usually when they try to make fun of uh, male politicians, they're only talking about you know the politician's work or the politician's style of talking, the politician's style of walking. Even if they want to get personal, it will be about how the politicians dress and stuff like that. But when it comes to the female politicians, suddenly you have to be extra extra careful of everything you do. You have to ensure that from top to toe, you organize everything you wear in order for you to not receive backlash. Um, They'll criticize you on a very personal basis, uh, especially being a Muslim woman. Um, The way you dress is becoming something, you know, will become something a lot more important and somehow it became like the most important part of being a politician. I have received so many comments uh telling me on how to dress and telling me on uh how to walk or uh how I should wear my hijab. Um there are several comments that you can take that nicely because you know regardless you feel that they come from a good place but there are also nasty comments that they're just saying it because they have nothing else to say about you. And I think that's one thing most apparent that I realize uh as a woman in politics. Other than that, um, there are a lot of culture in politics. There are a lot of culture in which women are not a part of. Um, You know, in politics, you have a lot of locker room talk uh, that women are usually not... Obviously, it's not something that women are used to. And then you will have things like, for example, um, conversations where it's very uncomfortable for you to hear and to be included in those kind of conversations, right? But you have to do it because you want to power through. Because in other political parties, right, for example, they are so used to all these kind of talks because they have have a woman wing. So to them, it's okay for me to talk about this with my leadership because they are all men. But when Muda comes in, and Muda is saying that, look, women are just as equal as men in terms of being a leader in politics. Women are equally, you know, um, capable of becoming a good politician as any other male leader. And I think that's when all these other, you know, elder generations or elder politicians start to work a little bit harder to change the way they do politics. And I really realized that, um, you know, now that I have communicated with a lot of other politicians from different parties, I can see that they are trying. So that signaled a good thing in Malaysian politics that they are trying to do some change. Uh, but definitely, as a woman, I think at the same time, I always have to work double, triple harder than my male counterparts simply to be recognized as a capable person. Right? Even then, they won't just say, oh, she's a capable leader, right? They will just say, as a woman, she's... You know, she's actually quite okay. And I think that's something that is the most challenging uh, as a woman politician or as a woman candidate.
0: Let's hope as Muda, Party Muda, we can bring that paradigm shift for our future generations. Definitely.
1: definitely. You can already see that coming, actually. yeah.
0: Perfect. Maybe you want to share with us um, three things that we need to learn or we need to do or we need to say for that matter to bring in
1: Malaysia baru. Great. Three things are actually great because I think all this while politics have always been about politics of race, you know, politics of religion and politics of vengeance in Malaysia and you see the way they do politics have always been revolving around all these things right but in muda the way that we want to show that we can bring in a new change in politics, that we want to show the people that we are doing this because we care for the people, not simply because we want the power of being a minister, right? There are three things that we need to roll in as you know a new political party. Number one is politics of service. And I think that's something that we are really thriving on, that Muda, I think we really have no problem in showing that we are a party of political politics of service. You you see that through our Missy Banje, where uh, you know a lot of people would want to volunteer with MUDA because they say that MUDA is a party NGO. But to me, it's okay. I I take that as a compliment. Actually, I don't really think that it's an insult when people call you party NGO because I think that when they see when they say that. Is because they always see us on the ground constantly sending help, constantly giving help and they don't see us politicking enough because they always see that politics is all about how do you attack your opponents better. No. I think new politics should be giving service and so number one is politics of service. Number two, it's all about politics of policy. What kind of policies that you want to push for the people, right? We have been very consistent in fighting for things like anti-hopping law. We have been consistent to fight for education for all. We have been consistent to fight for um, you know, things like windfall tax. We have been consistent in fighting for so many issues like so many policy. uh, The Political Funding Act, for example. These are all a very important policy for you to push for in order to move Malaysia forward. So one is politics of service, number two is politics of policy, and number three for me, in order for you to bring new changes in political landscape of Malaysia, is to bring in politics of value. That politics is not just about trying to win seats. Politics is not just about, you know, trying to form the government and being ministers and getting powers, no. But politics is about rolling in Good changes for the country. Politics is about setting the right culture for Malaysians, right? Because when whatever happens at the top will trickle to the bottom, when corruption is rampant at the very top of administration, you see that will be rampant at the bottom as well. But when corruption is contained at the top, then the bottoms will be contained as well. So it's important for politicians to be able to bring in politics of value and create new Mal- new Malaysia together.
0: Thing Adding on to your point, personally being part of Parti Muda, I, I think um, I'm very proud and I'm very happy that um, we hold Kitmat Masyarakat so close to our hearts. We put our people first yeah. for a better Malaysia and for the Rakyat Malaysia. Yeah. One word,
1: you love... Just one word. My cats. <laughs> Two words. <laughs> my, I guess. <laughs> we'll end it with the last one. Your biggest pet peeve. Wow. Huh. I have to think about this. What is my biggest pet beef? Mm. <laughs> you know, you, you always think that you can you can tolerate everything until it it actually happens in front of you. Um but I suppose m- my biggest pet peeve would be people not walking the talk. Um, I, I really don't like it when people like to boast and talk more than what they are actually doing. And so I really want to ensure that I myself will not go there that whatever I say, I will try my very best to fulfill it and that's how I want muda to be as well.
0: Simply said, the NATOs. (laughs) 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 All right, that was truly an enlightening and inspiring session. Um, I would like to thank you very much for your time and for giving us inputs. Um, We've come to the end of our session. I wish you all the best with Johor Elections.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Manisha.